Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. Hey, we're going to continue in our study of Nehemiah, um, and we want to take a look at the next part of this story uh, because I hope this has been challenging for you, whether on a personal level or just even us as a church, as we think about what great things God can do in our lives as well as through the life of a church that is fully committed to him. Uh, we want to continue that today. Now, Chris Gepner may not be a name that is familiar to you. Chris Gepner uh, was a, a guy from Florida in his uh, mid-20s or so, and he attended something called the Passion Conference that happens every year down in Atlanta. The speaker, Louis Giglio, uh, was beginning the end of the, the, you know, this uh, time together, and he began to challenge people very directly. And he said, I am going to challenge some of you to stand up who are going to make a commitment to do something radical. You are going to go plant churches in New England. Now, we lived in New England for four years. And New England is not a place that is warm and fuzzy. It is not the south. It is not Lancaster County. Churches die there. Okay? Uh, They just do. Chris Kepner stood up. He doesn't fully understand why, but he felt... And, and, and heard the Lord laying on his heart that he needed to be one who planted churches in New England. So he began the process of this. He had a few people that joined him, and he moved up to New Hampshire, a uh, town up there. And uh, it was just a small, typical rural New England town. And uh, he decided he was going to start this with uh, about eight people uh, showed up at their first meeting. And he was encouraged by that. He's like, this is going to be awesome, and so on. And and uh, a few more people started to join, and, and they moved to a new location. They moved to, it was an opera house, but it was also uh, the, where the town hall met. So they started to meet there, and the first Sunday they were excited. They had this new open area. They had been meeting in coffee shops and meeting people and inviting them to come a part of a church, and, and uh, they have their first service, and they put this big sign out, you know, welcome to Riverbank Church, and and people were coming in, and they had a decent attendance. And that week, the council of the town had a meeting and passed an ordinance that said you cannot put signs up there. And here's the kind of signs that you can put up. So Chris was like, ah, oh, you know, it's, we kind of wanted that to be visible. But okay, we want to be good neighbors. We're going to stick with it. And so they got rid of the sign. They found another way to do it. And And lo and behold, then a couple weeks passed and another ordinance met. People said, well, we feel conflicted that the town hall is allowing a church to meet in it. Now, other groups met in this place, but an ordinance was passed that the church could not now meet at the town hall building because it was a conflict of interest. Chris got called into a town hall meeting. Uh, Well, actually, excuse me, he attended a town hall meeting. Uh, and lo and behold, he was looking at the agenda, what the town hall was going to cover, and his church was on it. No one had even told him. He's like, well, this is going to be interesting. What are they going to be saying about us? And in this town hall meeting, uh, especially the town uh, council was like condemning and ridiculing, even though he's right in there. 
this church and it's just causing a problem. We don't need another church. We have three churches, etc., etc. And it just was an attack, a full attack. They were going to have no success. I, I, he was discouraged. After the meeting, he, uh, one of the town council members who was particularly uh, just seemed to have an axe to grind, he approached, he's like, hey, I, you know, we're just trying to start a church here. Is there something that, you know, we can do? I, and, and this town council member looked at him and said, I am an atheist. I am opposed to everything that you guys are trying to do here. And I am going to make it my personal agenda that you know it. Chris was completely deflated. They tried moving into a new facility in town, and an ordinance was passed by the town council that a church could not meet in that location. They tried to buy land. They, they thought they had the ideal piece of land to start this church, and all of a sudden, another ordinance was passed, and this ordinance said zoning. That is now zoned for something completely different, even though originally it would have been fine for them to have a nonprofit there or a church. Chris was completely discouraged, and then, and then, the newspaper article came out. Front page news, Riverbank Church, a menace. And Chris sees this, and everyone in town's reading this. He was just trying to do something right, be faithful to the call God put on his life, and resistance, resistance, resistance. I don't know if you and your own personal walk with Christ or maybe you were a part of something. You felt very strong that God wanted you to do something. You felt his call. You start moving forward. And no sooner do you start moving forward or maybe having some success. And then it shows up. Resistance. Something comes up. You're like, I'm going to read my Bible. Through the Bible, this year, every day, got it. Got it. And you get two weeks in. And then you come to Leviticus. And then all of a sudden, everything's like, wow, you know, I can find other things to read. Or you start, you know, you try to spend that time reading, and all of a sudden, your phone starts going off. Or you get distracted by something. You're, I'm going to have a strong prayer life this year. And every time you go to do it, something, something happens. Resistance seems to just show up out of nowhere. Resistance, it seems... Uh, is just as mar much a part of new ideas and change and movements as anything. You think about this, coffee. Coffee was very popular in the Middle East back hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And the people in the Middle East tried to introduce it to Europe, but Europe liked tea. And they didn't want any of that coffee stuff. There's nobody in here with that mindset uh, that's all about their tea. Um, I've heard it. Uh, and it took hundreds of years for it to ever get caught on into Europe and then eventually come here and now there's a Starbucks everywhere. Um, but it took a long time. Steve Jobs, uh, who, the uh, founder of Apple, introduces this crazy thing called an iPad. And everyone, <laughs> stupid name, boy, who wants to carry around something the size of a window? And oh, that's so dumb. And now my kids bring theirs home from school every week. Dumb idea, it seemed at first. Resistance, people mocking it. All these ideas come up. Maybe, maybe you've seen this and maybe you can think of some. You know, here's a crazy one I, I was reminded of this past week. Um, 
there was this crazy doctor with the last name Lister. And Lister uh, decided to come up with an idea that, hey, after we're done a surgery and we start doing another surgery, maybe we ought to sterilize the instruments that we're using. And people are like, you're ridiculous. Why would you do that to that? And it was amazing that when they started to sterilize it, people stopped getting infected and dying. But it was met with scorn, resistance, mockery. Doctors had counsels against him saying he didn't know what he was talking about. And now we're like, why would you not sterilize stuff? Are you kidding me? I put antibacterial on my hand for everything, okay? So all of these ideas met resistance. And we know in the church we see it too. And guess what? Nehemiah sees it too. Today we're going to look uh, at two chapters uh, uh, and portions of the chapter four. I'm going to encourage you, because of time, and there's a lot of detail in these, four and six, we'll skip five, we're going to come back to that in a few weeks. Four and six, I want you to look at. Um, but Nehemiah four, we begin to see, if you remember where we last left off in our last episode, Nehemiah, uh, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, the Lord uh, just lays it on his heart. He needs to do something. The walls of Jerusalem, uh, his home country where his parents are from, the walls are desolate and they need to be rebuilt. And he feels the personal burden. He makes a plan. He takes it to the king. The king says, you can go. He inspires the people to do the work. Last week we saw a lot of common people, everything from laborers to there were daughters of one guy that he had helping with the wall building and they were all working towards this. And guess what? They start having success and then resistance happens. Resistance comes out of nowhere and honestly, for all of us, I would say this, we need to begin to expect resistance whenever we try to do great things for God on our own personal life, as well as as a church. Nehemiah chapter 4, let's look at the first three verses here. It says this, now when Samballot heard that we, that's the Jewish people, were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now, pause before we go to verse 2, Samballot. Okay, who's that? Sam Ballot was mentioned actually back in chapter 2, and it doesn't go into great detail because you get a lot more detail about him here. Sam Ballot was a governor of Samaria. Now, Jerusalem is right here, and you'll see, I'll put a map up in just a second, but uh, Samaria is to the north, and Sam Ballot is ticked off that these people are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It's, he's not just kind of mildly angry. He's seriously angry. And it goes on in verse 2 and says this. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, remember that, what are these feeble Jews doing? Feeble Jews doing. The word feeble there uh, means a withering plant. It's like, you know, any plant, if you, by the way, if any of you ever buy me a plant, it's, this is what it means. It's going to die eventually, okay? I just, and yeah, I don't do plants. Um, a withering, dying plant. What are these feeble, dying, hopeless people trying to accomplish? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice again in the temple? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the rubble, of the heaps of rubbish, and burn ones at that? Sam Ballot starts to mock them. He starts to taunt them. He starts to harass them. 
And verse 3 says this, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. Another name, Tobiah, was a Persian official. Now, this is interesting. He was a Persian official. Remember, the Persian kingdom is over Israel at this time. If you remember from week one, Artaxerxes is the king. Nehemiah is in good favor with him. And yet, this Persian official, who should be one who is submissive to whatever Artaxerxes says, seems to have his own opinion, and he's teaming up with the Sambalakai. I don't know, maybe they were getting sort of allies and thinking about maybe how they get over some of the kingdom. I don't know. But Tobiah, as mentioned here, was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. In other words, what they're building is flimsy. Look at that. You know people like that. Whenever you do something great, they're like, oh, I've done better. I've done better. Oh, I've done that. Oh, that looks really sturdy there. And this is basically what you see these people are beginning to do. Sambalat is mentioned. Tobiah is mentioned. A little bit later on, another name is going to be mentioned, Geshem. Geshem was the king of Kedar. Now, Kedar is to the south. This is important for us to cover all of these. You're like, I don't know any of these people. Here's why. Let's put the map up. Jerusalem is right smack dab in the middle. Samaria, we mentioned that, Sambalat, is to the north. At one point, it also mentions the Ammonites are getting in with Sambalat. Kedar is to the south. Uh, and then Ashdod is to this side. Wow, it's almost like they're surrounded. All the people around them. Here they are just trying to build walls. And everyone around them is like, losers. How dare they? How dare they? dare they? They think they're going to have success. They're not going to have success. And you have to imagine what it's like to be a Jewish person building these walls at this time when everyone around, you're surrounded. You are surrounded by people who wish ill upon you. They don't want you to be successful. They want you to fail. They begin to resist. They begin to push back. They saw them working and having success and they wanted to cut them down. There is a phrase that is used, especially in Australia, called the tall poppy syndrome. And I don't know how many of you are familiar about this, but tall poppy, if you imagine a field full of poppy flowers and one of them is taller than the other, tall poppy syndrome is someone's going to come along and cut it down. And that's a picture of what's going on here. Jerusalem is beginning to have success and they want them destroyed. All these people want them cut down. So they're jeering them. They're taunting them. They're trying to harass them. Maybe they're trying to pick a fight. See if any of them dares to try to do something violent against them. They're surrounded. And it seems that we can get something out of this. That whenever somebody gets serious about action, if you get serious about something with your walk with Christ, if we get serious as a church about making an impact for Christ, discipling people, becoming evangelistic, if we are serious about that, guess what? It's going to cause friction. It's going to cause friction. It's going it, to... Resistance. Anytime you start a movement, it takes resistance. If I had a bike up here, and I almost brought one of my kids' bikes in, but I was afraid I'd break my neck. Um, it's not a good way to preach. But if I have a bike here, and I, and I sit on it, the wheels... If I lift up the wheel and I do the pedal, am I going to move forward? You can answer loudly. No. Thank you, science majors here. Okay, if I put it down on the ground and I do the pedal, am I going to move forward? Yes, why? Well, the pedals are part of it. But why is it different from when it's up to when it's down? 
There's friction. There's resistance from the floor that allows it to move forward. Whenever you're going to start moving forward and trying to attempt to do great things for God, you better believe you're going to have that. It's just part of it. Nehemiah and the the Jews should not have been surprised that as soon as we start to do something for God, there's going to be people that are going to have a big problem with it. Big problem. This resistance throughout this chapter and even in chapter 6 takes on several different forms that I want you to know about today. Uh, There's several different forms. Number one is disruption. Resistance takes on the form of disruption. In verse 8, it says this, and they, this is talking about Sanballat and all of the people surrounding them, and they all plotted together to come and what? Fight against Jerusalem and to cause what? Yeah, confusion in it. So now they're trying to disrupt what they're doing by picking a fight or by causing a lot of confusion that people are like, why are we doing this again? Is this, what was, what was the effort? They start to try to find a way to manipulate and to twist things and to drag it that they will not be successful. It is not unusual that when I try to do something great for God, that some, an enemy of mine, he's called the devil, you might be familiar with him, he will try to disturb me and disrupt what I'm trying to do. He brings in a distraction. He brings in a family matter. He tries to do this within the church. A disruption will happen that can cause confusion. You know, one of the things that uh, our government really likes to talk about and use that is a good picture of this is a little something we call the filibuster. I will never forget a filibuster back. It was during the Clinton years. Uh, Robert Byrd, when I was living in West Virginia, the senator, Robert Byrd went on this long, confounded filibuster uh, talk about his dog. He just sat there and was talking about his dog, and they could do nothing because of the filibuster. What was Robert Byrd trying to do? He was trying to delay, confuse, disrupt what was trying to be passed. I've seen this in churches. That's not good. When the church gets real about doing something and disruption comes. But there's a second form of resistance that happens in this passage. Uh, Demoralization. Now we just saw in verse 2 and 3, demoralization where they were being hazed and harassed. But later on in verse 10 uh, and 11, you see the results of all that stuff that Sam Ballot was saying is, oh, are they going to actually be able to build walls? And Tobias over there saying, ah, Fox would knock those things down. Now we see demoralization because it starts getting into the psyche of the Jewish people here. It says this, in Judah, that's where they're at, in that region, including Jerusalem, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. The people that are working are starting to lose their strength. There is too much rubble. Man, this job is too big. We are never going to be able to do this. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. We can't do this alone. We're no experts. I'm a perfumer for crying out loud. You remember them last week? I'm no wall builder. And our enemy said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. They're threatening them. They're flexing on them. They're trying to say, you're not going to be able to do anything. And it's paying off. 
Because you see some of the Jewish people being demoralized. Have you ever been demoralized when you try to do something great for God? You think it's for God. Well, you know it's for God. The Lord puts the call on your life and someone comes along and it's just like a wet blanket and puts out the fire in you. William Carey was a missionary a long time ago. I recommend you read his story. William Carey um, had this passion to be a missionary, to reach unreached people. And William Carey uh, goes to a church and he talks about it, the Primitive Baptist Church, and he talks about the, his fire that he has. In a, and one of the church leaders, a respected church leader, a church leader, steps up to him and says, young man, sit down. If God wants to reach the heathen, he'll find it one way or the other and he doesn't need us involved. What? You're a church leader, you're respected, you know the gospel. You're telling me not to go be a missionary to where people are unreached? God will somehow figure it out and he doesn't need our help? People will try to demoralize you when you try to do something great for God. There's a third way, dismay, dismay. Um, fear, if you will. Uh, in chapter 6, if we skip over two chapters, we read a little bit more about Samballot and what they're trying to do. Uh, uh, it says this, uh, Nehemiah says, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Sam Ballin then wanted to, wanted to terrify us, that we had the fear. If I went to pick up something to, to work on the wall, I was dead meat. I'm done. Now, I know not many of us are maybe facing a physical life-altering or life-ending threat here, but it may have felt like it with resistance that you have met. And Nehemiah says here, oh my goodness, you know, their hands, they, they were trying to frighten us, give us dismay that we're terrified to do anything. We were afraid to breathe. And so we had to ask if we were going to continue on this, and Nehemiah says, God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands that I can keep doing what I know you want me to do. Please help me. The last one is this, distraction. Distraction uh, is, is pretty interesting here. Uh, first off, um, I want you to note this, that the first part of the resistance is targeted at the people. They start trying to harass the people from doing the work. And a little bit, you're going to see that it also comes from the inside. It goes right after the leader. Nehemiah himself. They say, well, the people aren't shuddering, so we got to go after who's in charge. Distraction is another way that uh, this happens in, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 6. Verse 2 says this, Sam, Ballot, and Geshem said, uh, sent to me saying, hey, come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. That is not Yoko, by the way. But they intended to do me harm. Now, these leaders are like, hey, why don't you come up and meet with us? Oh, by the way, you're going to be meeting with us several miles north, and it's right on the border of Samaria. Sambal, from Samaria. Hmm, I wonder what they're trying to do. They're going after the leader. They're trying to distract him. They're trying to keep him from the work. Maybe they can arrest him. Maybe they can kill him. And then they don't have to worry about a thing. And they are persistent. They tried this four times. The fifth time, 
they send a letter to him, and it's an open letter. And back then, an open letter was like an open phone line, okay? You send it, and anyone's allowed to read it. And they basically accused him of things that he had not done to discourage him and to build up a lot of gossip. The people are like, Nehemiah did what? He said what? They're trying to distract him from doing the work that God called him to. Later on in verse 10 to 12, it says this, and this is the inside attack. Another distraction. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delii, son of Mehetabel, uh, who was confined to his home. We don't know why he was confined to his home. This is, a, this is a prophet, by the way, confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. This religious leader, who we find out is a false prophet, says, come on in the temple. I'll look out for you. I'll make sure you're protected, Nehemiah. Just stay in here. Later on, Nehemiah finds out, guess what? He was on Samballot's payroll. Samballot was giving him the order to do this. This was an inside attack. This was a prophet of God. On the inside, he's trying to distract the leader from this. He's a traitor. The attack came from the inside. Don't be surprised if you are a part of being what God wants this church to be or what you know God is leading you to in your spiritual life that some of the hardest attacks you're going to face are going to come from right next to you. Other believers. Other believers in the neighborhood. They're going to be the ones to discourage you, try to distract you, so on and so forth. And they may not even realize it. They may not even realize what they're doing. Sometimes the attack comes from the inside. People help you lose perspective about what God is doing. God is doing great things, and, and we can easily be defeated by uh, those even within the body of Christ. So um, how do they respond to all of this? This is all the resistance that they're meeting. Well, they prepared to meet resistance. The, Nehemiah tells them, we're going to meet this resistance head on. We are not messing around. And there's two ways that they prepared. First off was physically. Uh, they prepared physically. Uh, in uh, verse uh, 16, I believe it is chapter uh, 4. I forgot to mark this down on here from my notes. Uh, but uh, chapter, yeah, it is chapter 4. Um, 16, it says this. From that day on, I got my people ready because I told half of my servants to work on construction and the other half held spears, shields, bows, and co uh, coats of mail. Now, I'm not going to have a discussion about the Second Amendment today, but you see people who were ready to physically defend themselves, okay? They were ready to do what it took because they knew God had called them to this, that God's hand was on this work, and they were not going to back down. Now, some might look at this and say, well, they didn't have enough faith that God would protect them. No, they did. They were just being smart, Sometimes it requires us to be practical in how we handle things. If God calls us to something, we need to think practically. You cannot say, God, I, I, I just want you to meet my needs that I have you know, food and shelter and all of this, but I'm just not going to work, and I'm not going to do anything for it. I just expect that envelopes are going to start flying into my mailbox. Sometimes we have to be practical. We have to do something. Uh, there were uh, students uh, at college that I had to counsel, and they were like, well, I don't know why a girl, I'm not married yet, and so on. And part of the reason was because they weren't asking a girl out. Sometimes you got to actually talk to a female if you want her to marry you. It helps. 
Um, we don't do arranged marriages anymore here. Uh, sometimes we have to be practical. Nehemiah had them be practical. Half of you, you're on military duty. The other half, your construction. And if anyone comes, you let us know. Um, but they also prepared themselves spiritually. In chapter, or verse 20 of chapter 4, it says, In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Why? Our God will fight for us. And this isn't the only time he says this in this chapter. I love this because he keeps reminding them, God is on our side. God will fight for us. We just need to be faithful. Don't lose hope. Do not lose sight of what we're trying to do here. Do not forget that he's fighting for us. My point this morning of what I want us to all get out of this is this, is that a believer tested is a believer invested. If you are facing resistance for being faithful to what God has called you to, then it's a good indicator that you're invested in what you're doing. If a believer is not being tested, if a church is not being tested, there is no difficulty, there is no resistance, anything like that, maybe we need to evaluate how invested we are in the mission of what God has called us to be and do as a church. Because a church that is not challenged or a believer that is not challenged, I know this. The Bible tells me that I have an enemy and he's seeking anyone for whom he will devour. He's looking for people. And if I get serious, you see it all throughout Scripture and you see it all throughout history. If I get serious about doing what God calls me to do, if we get serious as a church about doing, not just talking about, but doing what God calls us to do, you're going to be resisted. It may be local authorities. It may be neighborhood that scorns what you do. It may be people in the church who do not want to reach the community because they just want to show up. But you will be resisted. If you're invested, are we invested in our faith and our growth? Are we invested as a church into being something different? How will God use us? How do we react to resistance? And I, I'm going to close with these pretty quickly, but how should we then respond or react to resistance? Number one, you just saw it. Remember, remember whose fight it is. Ultimately, most resistance, if not all, is spiritual in nature. Nehemiah knew that. This was more than just a bunch of people who were flexing and saying, hey, we're going to take you out. This was very much a spiritual resistance. You have an enemy that anytime you get serious is going to work overtime to defeat your efforts. Overtime. I, Romans 8.31, one of my favorite verses I remember as a teenager and a college student reminded me, if God is for us, if we're doing what God has called us to, if we're being faithful in that, who on earth can be against us? If God is for what he has laid on your heart to do, who can be against you? He is the one who fights the battle. We just sang a whole bunch of songs about that. The battle belongs to the Lord. You just sang that. I hope you meant it. Because the resistance is going to be strong at times. It's going to be defeating like you saw with, with Israel or with Jerusalem right now. It's going to be. It's going to beat you to the ground. But we know who ultimately owns the battle. The second thing is this, expect casualties. Expect casualties. I don't like to say this one. I really wish I didn't have to say this one. But expect casualties. When I choose to get serious about a walk with Christ, I am going to lose friends. I'm going to have family members who want nothing to do with me. 
I may lose out on promotions because I choose to do things the right way instead of maybe what the boss thinks. I might lose position. I might lose reputation with people because I don't do what I used to do. But it's going to have casualties. Matthew 24, 10 to 13, Jesus is talking about the end times as they draw closer and closer and says this, and then many will fall away and betray one another. Fall away from following him, fall away from being faithful and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many people astray. They're going to distract them. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that brings us to the third thing. And that's this. Stay on target. That sounds so cliche. Stay on target. Nehemiah did not lose sight of what God had called him to. He believed and knew God's hand of blessing was on him. And regardless of resistance, he was not going to back down. And it is the same with you. Do not stop. Press forward. Press forward. Remember, if this is an act of God, if he has truly called you to this, you would be a fool to abandon it. You'd be a fool to abandon that. Nehemiah 6, 9. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. And maybe that's your prayer. Despite the persecution that may come, despite the resistance that you may have, God, strengthen my hands. I don't have anything left. I can only, only be in strengthened from you. I hope that is where we're at. That our focus is on what God has called us to. And it's not just to show up here every week, but it is to be a church on the move. That is to be believers seriously committed to God to make a difference in my neighborhood, to make a difference everywhere God places me, and not to just exist like everyone around me exists. I used to tell my old youth groups this, God does not call you to live a normal life. As Christians, we're going to live an abnormal life when the world looks at us. Is your life normal or abnormal? So, how does I challenge us as we end this? Overcoming resistance leads to reward. Resistance is fruitful. If you can overcome resistance with the power of God, keeping your eyes on what he has called you to in your personal life as well as us as a church, there is great reward in it. You will see it in Nehemiah, the great reward. I cut us off in chapter 6 because it says what it is. But there is great reward that you may miss out on if you cannot endure until the end of what God is calling and moving you to do. I started off this morning with Chris Goppel, the man who went to plant a church uh, up in New England and was meeting just this ridiculous resistance. Chris was done. When the newspaper story came out, it was just bashing this church. He's like, I can't plant a church here. So he goes to Florida, where he was originally from, takes a vacation, an extended one, because he was just beat up. And he came back, and his head was a little clearer, and he's like, God, this is what you called me to. I don't get this, but here I am. And no sooner does he get back, but his phone rings. The woman on the other end says, I'm a realtor in town. I'm just going to say this up front. I'm an atheist. I do not believe in anything of what you are doing. And he's thinking, oh, here we go again. She says, but I read the newspaper about what they said about you all, and you all are being treated unfairly and unjustly. I have a plot of land. It is not in this town. It's about two miles over a river in Vermont. And I want you to just take a look at it because I think it would be perfect for you. 
He goes over with his team. He looks at it, and he's like, it is, and it's a great price. Yes, it's a few miles over a river, <laughs> a whole other state from where they were before New Hampshire, and so they buy the land, and the church begins to thrive and grow. And even this past, uh, this past year, 222 people for the first time gave their life to Christ at this church. It's reached over 1,000, and I know those are numbers, and numbers can be deceiving, but they are seeing genuine conversions in New England where apparently all pastors go to die and churches go to die. That's what I've been told. And they're seeing God do something. But what if he would have quit? What if he would have quit because of the resistance, the discouragement, all of that? He would have missed out on the reward. Last thing I want you to think about is this. What if the resistance you are experiencing right now is God's confirmation that you're doing the right thing? What if everything that is just up against you is actually God's way of saying, you're on the right track. Keep going. I've got this. I've got this. Keep your eyes on him and trust it to him. Let's pray. Father, I don't know who needs to be encouraged today with this, and, and you lay this on my heart even as there's those moments uh, in ministry. I know I go through this. Lord, that we would devote ourselves to you, commit our lives to you, and remember you've got this battle. There's nothing too hard for you. You created the universe in a few days, and I think my battle is insurmountable. Lord, if there's anyone here that has maybe sensed your calling or felt your leading, even students in here that have felt your leading to do something great for you, and maybe they're afraid that, God, they, they would lean into the fact that you are the one who fights the battle. They just need to be faithful. And yes, resistance will come. And Lord, I ask that you would put encouragers in the lives of those that are feeling discouraged and disrupted and all of that to build them up and to challenge them to keep going, keep going, keep going. Lord, that we would persevere to the end. Even if it costs us friends and family and goodness knows what else, Lord. Help us to be strong and faithful as a church as well to this call. That we be devoted to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.